pray. Amen. I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the letter of 1 Peter, where we'll be reading uh, the first chapter of this letter in its entirety. Uh, If you're visiting us today as a church family, we've been going through each letter of the New Testament, looking at how it begins and how it ends. And so as the year is coming to an end and there's frost on the ground in the mornings and we're anticipating the upcoming holidays. We're also getting to the end of our Bibles uh, as we're coming up to the last few uh, letters that are within it. Uh, but even if you haven't been here for the previous parts, this is the first time that we're in First Peter. So we're all on the same ground uh, as we look at this chapter. But this is First Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God." 
who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. The Apostle Peter starts uh, with a phrase as he's addressing a, a group of churches. This is not only meant to go to one place. This is a more general letter that is to be circulated for, into a few towns and to the churches gathered in those towns. So it's a little bit more uh, general in its focus, and he lists the different places where it'll go in what is mostly modern-day Turkey, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And as he writes this letter to all of these different places, he uses a, an interesting phrase to describe them, but it can be a phrase that describes all of us as Christians when he says that they are the elect exiles. And so uh, he knows he's not only addressing one group, but he's addressing a variety of Christians in multiple places, and he calls them the elect exiles. Uh, the, the second of these two words are, are words that you wouldn't usually anticipate to, to go together. There's a little bit of a dissonance in them, like it's kind of like being called uh, the chosen rejects uh, or the hand-picked leftovers. Uh, there, there's something about both of the words that you don't necessarily uh, put together instantly in your mind when you think about being elect or specially chosen and then also being someone who would say, I feel like I'm in exile. I feel like I'm not surrounded by uh, the majority of people or things that I'm familiar with. I feel a little bit isolated, but yet you're telling me uh, I've been chosen. And so this is uh, an interesting phrase, even as he opens it up for us to give a little bit of thought to what he means. Uh, and one of the images that he is drawing upon is from the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they experienced a time of exile as a whole nation, that they had been sent off uh, to Babylon, and they had been warned by the prophets that this was going to happen, that God was in fact judging the people, and because of that, there was going to be at least 70 years where many of them were going to be displaced and now be living in, a, in an area that was unfamiliar to them, surrounded by a culture that was unfamiliar to them. And it was actually in that time of exile that if you still uh, have a Bible open, uh, the prophet Jeremiah had to send a message to all of them who were in exile to tell all of them that even though they were experiencing this now new and strange environment, that God was still with them. And so if you open your Bible to Jeremiah 29 you'll see where there's uh, specifically a letter that the prophet Jeremiah gave to the children of Israel who were in that time of exile. They were scattered. They were no longer in Jerusalem. And if you're, uh, if you're using one of the Bibles there provided in the few, you'll see the heading of the chapter, Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. Uh, but we'll pick it up in verse four. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams that they dream. It's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and will bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for, for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And so that message from Jeremiah went to the people living in Babylon, and that exile was a judgment of God that scattered them as a consequence of sin. But even in that judgment, the message that came to them was, God is still with you there. He's not just with you when you're in Israel. He's still with you even though you're someplace else. And his purposes for you are the same. He wants you to keep on working hard. He wants you to keep on believing and investing in future generations. He doesn't want you now because you're in this totally different environment to say, well, there's really no reason to follow God here. There's no reason to keep getting married. There's no reason to have children. There's no reason to honor his law. Many of them would have been tempted to have that kind of attitude now that they were living in completely unfamiliar environment. And so the prophet has to say, you are in exile. This isn't exactly what you're most excited about or, or what you would have originally planned for yourself. But know that God is still with you. And know that his plans and purposes for you are still good and kind. And so he wants you to flourish there. He wants you to grow and he wants you to actually be agents of blessing, not only for yourself, but even for Babylon itself. And so he tells them, seek the welfare of the place that I have sent you, which means seek to be a blessing even to those who are around you, even though they're unfamiliar to you. And so now Peter is writing this letter to a totally different group of people and their exile is not based on the same circumstance. It's not uh, coming because of a judgment upon them in some large scale way like it did for the children of Israel. But he kind of knows that everybody he's writing to by following Jesus feels a little bit out of step with a lot of what's going on around them. That as they continue to follow Jesus, there's other things they're not doing that many of the people around them are not doing. And he's trying again to tell them, a lot of times when we feel isolated or alone in what we're doing, we can, it's easy to then think, God must not be for us and he must be punishing us. And so Peter's reminding them, no, no, he has chosen you for this. You are elect exiles. This is not punishment because of things that have happened by other people. This is part of God's purposeful plan that his people be scattered throughout this world. And even if at times that means they're a small group in a large crowd, 
He wants us there, and he wants us to know that he's with us there, and that he's going to use us there, and that just like the people of Israel were promised a future and a hope, we are promised a future and a hope. We have every reason to look forward to the opportunities that are in front of us in the world. It doesn't mean we think the world is great or the world is constantly getting better. No, there's plenty of challenges in the world. But the foundational conviction is that God has his people where he wants them. And so wherever we are, he can use us for his purposes. And so one of the helpful ways to, to even think through is, as Peter's trying to write this letter, um, that is, is a way that uh, I've seen people even uh, for church testimony time sort of interview other people to, to kind of get to know them better is to do something called a this time tomorrow interview. Uh, but so as you think about the elect exiles, the exercise is just even for you and me to ask yourself, where will you be this time tomorrow? And so it's 1037. What will your day look like? And if we were to say, where is Lakeside Christian Church? In one sense, we could drop a Google pin at 3535 Knollwood Lane. And at this time, we could say, actually, a good amount of the church is gathered together in one place. But where will Lakeside Christian Church be this time tomorrow? Uh, most of you won't be back here. Uh, this becomes a very empty place, uh, usually Monday through Friday. And so at 10.30 tomorrow morning, some of you, you don't want to think about it because you're like, oh, I'm going to be at school and I'm going to be in so-and-so's classroom. Or some of you are like, oh, I'm going to be at work and I'm not really looking forward to the day. Some of you will be at home helping take care of other people. Some of you will be on a Zoom call talking to people uh, scattered throughout the world. Uh, if we were just to answer the question in a room like this, it would be incredibly diverse, all the different places that we will be or speaking into this time tomorrow. And here again, the challenge is for us. Do we think that that is random, that we are in all those places and that happens by accident? Or do we believe that God has us scattered in all of those different places because he intends to use us to serve him in all of those different areas. So that when we think of what it means to worship him and what it means to follow him, we don't only think about when we're all together in one place, invited to sing and to read, but that by what we do here, it actually enables us when we're no longer together to remember it is part of God's purposeful plan, i.e. he has elected to do it this way. He's made a choice that more often than not, we are scattered in this world than we are gathered together. More often than not, we encounter the world by what we're doing Monday through Saturday and not as much what we're doing on Sunday and that that is part of his plan, that he wants his children helping carry out his will in the classroom, in the cubicle, in the home, on a Zoom call, sending an email, uh, driving from one place to another. And if we believe that this is part of his purpose and plan, it's not something that then we look forward to with a sense of dread, but we can say, God is not sending us as a punishment into all of those places. Like, 
it was in the time of Jeremiah. It's more like it is in the time now of First Peter where we are still experiencing exile, we're still dispersed, but it's on purpose. We're deployed. We're on mission. He has outposts in all of these different areas. And then we're simply one congregation. You add up other congregations in all the places that those people will be. It gives you this much broader sense of God is doing something in our world in so many places. That because we're not all there with each other, we don't all see it. We only usually see what's right in front of us. But God is doing his work in so many different places uh, all of the time if we're open to it. And so if you keep that sort of image in your head of where you'll be this time tomorrow, there's sort of three things that then as chapter one unfolds, it encourages all of us, wherever we're gonna be, to think about how the gospel can shape what that looks like. And the first is to encourage and remind all of us that we have a living hope. So wherever you'll be this time tomorrow, you and I are people who can say in verse three and four, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is good news that we have. It's meant to give us a sense of hope. So our hope doesn't come from where we're going to be this time tomorrow or even how it goes this time tomorrow. Our hope before we even get there is to be reminded that our hope is in God and in God alone. And what he has given us through his son in giving us new life in him, he also promises to guard and to protect. Nobody can take it away from you. A mean boss can't take it away from you. Uh, an angry person on the road who's not happy with how you're driving can't take it away from you. Uh, an angry email tomorrow can't take it away from you. It's something that we have that comes from him as a gift to us. And it's meant to provide for us living hope. We all have responsibilities that we will carry out but this helps remind us that our hope comes from outside of us and so does our identity. Uh, because once we put on a hat, whether that's as a parent or a sibling, a student, a worker, an owner, very quickly when that's the majority of what we're doing, we can sort of take on that as being part of our identity and who we are. And we need reminders to say, that's not who you are. That might be what you're engaged in, that's what you're focused on and that's what you're doing. But no one's work, paid or unpaid, ultimately can define who you are. That you are a son or a daughter of the king, and he knows your name. I had to make a service call for our uh, copy machine on Thursday, and I was calling through and talking with the company about what we needed and what was going on. And then eventually you could see that the gentleman I was dealing with noticed where I was calling from. He said, oh, you're calling from a church and not like a business center. Yes, a church. And asked me my name. And then eventually he said, are you the pastor there? And I said, I am the pastor here. And then the rest of the time, he never called me Peter. He only called me pastor. Uh, and he kept on saying it, which was fine. And I understood that he mostly meant it as a term of respect. But by the fifth time, he just said pastor and not my name. I just wanted to pause and say, 
my name is Peter, actually, and it would be okay if you use my name because all of us need to remember ultimately who we are before God, how he sees us and views us. And he does know each and every one of our names, and he knows each and every one of our challenges, and he wants us to go into a new week knowing that we have a living hope that's not based on what we do or how the world defines us, even at times how we define ourselves, but it actually comes from him. And he's caused all of us, whether whatever circumstances we were born in, whatever challenges we might have had, if we've come to faith in Jesus, we've all been born again. We've all been had to become like children and enter into the kingdom. And now we're all growing into what this looks like and what this means for our lives. And not only does it give us a living hope, but it gives us a patient faith. Uh, Peter acknowledges that though he doesn't identify what the specific circumstances are, he can say to everybody, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. First Peter 1 is starting to feel like James chapter 1. Like he just says, you're, you're going to go through trials. And he can say it pretty broadly, pretty generally. And so just like James could say, count it all joy when you enter trials of various kinds, Peter can say, listen, I know you're all going to go through something. And if it's not this time tomorrow, but it's tomorrow's tomorrow, that the trials really feel like they're coming, that the trials are going to come for each and every one of us. And so doing God's will and being an agent of him in this world does not mean, oh, I just know tomorrow's going to be a great day. That, that's not the promise here. He's, he's reminding us we have this living hope, and we need to remember that because there will be challenges for each and every one of us in the days ahead. There's phone calls that throw us off. I mean, I had one of those this past week that thankfully by the end of the day resolved, but I had one of those phone calls this week where somebody said, um, I just talked to my doctor and they're telling me I need to go get more tests. And that caused a rearrangement of our own family schedule. And so I was calling home and as I called Amy and I often, I, because she's homeschooling, I never know when is the appropriate time to call and not interrupt progress that's happening. And so then I got this, um, you know, she didn't pick up and I got one of those texts that said, sorry, I can't talk right now. And so I texted back, sorry, but we need to. Like, this is not just a normal, I'm like calling to see like, what's for dinner tonight? Like, I have to tell you something that neither you or I were expecting before the day started. And thankfully, it was something that by the end of the day was, okay, it was just precautionary, everybody's fine and good. But those kind of calls can come up at any point in time when we, we don't know what's taking place. And Peter knows enough about life to know that we're all going to be tested at different times. And part of what having this living hope allows us to do is to have a patient faith through trial. This time tomorrow, you can't save the world. I can't. And nobody's asking us to. You can't fix all the problems in our society tomorrow. Together, we can't. There are challenges that exist among us and that will continue among us. And 
part of what we need is that that hope also gives us a sense of patience. That more often than not, we cause more problems when we try to take control of situations and make sure that nothing bad will ever happen, rather than accepting our limitations. Tomorrow, you also only have one day, just like every day. And you can only do so much in one day, just like I can. And so we pray to God, give us this day our daily bread, and then the next day we have to pray the same prayer. We have to rely upon him and trust him for every day and be patient that he is working over time what he can according to his plan, but the challenges will come. And we can have a hope that enables us to be patient in the midst of the trials that come our way. There was a powerful example uh, for me uh, from this past year in the sports world of how this uh, came about. When, when things come up that just surprise you in ways you wouldn't expect. So I'm pulling out my phone so I can read a quote. Um, but this uh, past April in the golf tournament of the Masters, there was a young guy named Scotty Scheffler who was leading into the final day. And so now was having a sense that he could wake up uh, on Sunday and play and potentially win what is the most famous uh, tournament in professional golf. And just people were asking me, you know, how you doing? How do you think you're going to get ready for tomorrow? He was pretty even keel in his response. But then eventually, as he went home and really thought about it, genuinely had an anxiety attack of, oh my goodness, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for the pressure of this. I'm not ready for the media to come and, uh, and challenge me in this way. Uh, what, if, what if I blow it? And so everybody watching me uh, all of a sudden sees me actually fall apart. And he's genuinely nervous about that, and he has an anxiety attack. And so he says that uh, he admitted to some pressure in closing it out, and he admitted that he had, only afterwards, that he had suffered an anxiety attack that morning until his wife came and helped him sort of calm his nerves. His wife is Meredith, and this is what she told him. So this is him testifying after the tournament. He said, like Meredith told me this morning, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament today by 10 shots, if you never win another golf tournament again, I'm still gonna love you. You're still gonna be the same person. Jesus loves you and nothing changes. And he took that advice and he went and won the masters. <laughs> we need that kind of message from people to say in the trials that we Face And so then he goes on to say, as reporters are asking him afterwards, he says, all I'm trying to do is glorify God. That's why I'm here, and that's why I'm in this position. So for me, it's not about a golf score. All of us need that kind of, uh, those reminders that allow us to recognize we have a hope outside of ourselves that can give us patience when the pressure comes or the challenges appear on us, to remember that he loves us, that he's with us. There's plenty of times where we might say, if you love me and if you're with me, why am I going through this? Those are reasonable questions to ask. People in the Bible ask that question all the time. But part of what we do in celebrating communion is to remember that even though at times we don't know why we go through the challenges that all of us will face, what we're reminded by in communion is he is always with us. There is not a valley we can walk through that he himself hasn't walked through. 
There is not a pressure or an anxiety that is before us that he can't say, I've been there. I prayed in Gethsemane. I knew what the next day was going to mean. And as we remember that, that it gives us patience in our faith that if it's not going to resolve tomorrow or the next day or even in this next year, he's with us and he's going to strengthen us And even if we don't know why we're going through it, we can trust he's purifying us. He can make us more mature through the trials that we face. And he says actually that it would be more precious to us than gold or silver. Just like he later goes on to say that the word of God that we have is more precious than any gold or silver. That he didn't just offer us gifts, but he offered us himself. The most precious thing that he could give us, he gave to us. And he wants to remind us of the preciousness of our life. And so then the last thing he tells all of us is that we have a holy opportunity. So we can go into tomorrow with a living hope and a patient faith and also recognizing that wherever God will scatter us and have us, what's right. That's what it means to be holy, just as God is holy. That No, we can't save the world, but we can do the right thing that's in front of us. And we can apply that whether we're a student, whether we're unemployed, whether we're taking care of a loved one, whether we're a manager of a company and thinking of how to treat people or how to forecast and make long-term decisions. Holiness is not just something we think about when we're, again, gathered together, but when we're scattered as exiles dispersed in the world, he says to all of us, that holiness is not just what a few Christians are supposed to practice, but all of us are supposed to be holy because the God that we follow is holy. The Father we pray to in verse 17, he says, if you call on the Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. While we're going about our day, that we need to show the same impartiality that we believe our Heavenly Father shows to the world that we need to show the same commitment to do what's right with the opportunities that are before us. And we will need encouragement to do what's right at times. There are many challenges in this world that eventually as we find out about them and we realize, wow, it only got this bad because so many people along the way failed to do the right thing. And to go into our week and say, I don't want to be that person that with whatever responsibility God has given me and wherever he's entrusted me, that I would recognize he's with me and he's giving me the courage to do what's right when it needs to be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the encouragement that you do uh, rule this world and you know the plans and the purposes that you have for each and every one of our lives that nothing we do is by accident or by chance, that you have all of us scattered in different places according to your plan and purpose. And so we pray that you would help us to have hope in those uh, times to reveal to others that our hope comes not from us, but from you. That you would help us to be patient with the trials when they come, when the interruptions and the, the difficulties arise that for us then feel like they thwart our plans or they mess things up, that we could ultimately trust that you can do more with it than we possibly can.
and that therefore we can be patient. Uh, We can accept and embrace our limitations. Father, we need your Holy Spirit uh, to be able to do this work. We need ongoing wisdom from your word that endures forever to know how to live this way. And so we pray that you would help us to go forward sensitive to your spirit and also committed to your word, committed to knowing you more so that the hope that you offer us can, can manifest itself in our, our lives in greater ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, you can stand for our last.